Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. A successful insurance executive was sunbathing uh, while on the white sands of his private beach with his wife next to him, 54 years old, on vacation. Suddenly, he heard a tiny voice crying out for help. He and his wife saw this small girl floating on a plastic raft about 150 feet from the shore. She was being swept further out and further out by the riptide. The man ran into the surf, finally made his way to the girl. He helped her back onto the raft, and he began to push her toward the beach. But suddenly, he felt this sharp pain. He gave the raft one final push and disappeared underneath the surface of the water. Rescuers who swam to the 10-year-old girl got her safely to shore. A few minutes later, they recovered the limp body of her rescuer. He had died of a heart attack. You know what really impressed me about this story? It was the man's last words. As the little girl glided away with that one final push, he called out to her, you've got to help yourself now to get yourself in. I'm not going to make it. He knew. His last thoughts were for her and not for himself. That's courage. The definition of courage, according to the dictionary, is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. It's without fear. It can mean bravery. The courage I want to talk to you about this morning is this, and it's a character trait of patience because courage doesn't come easy to most of us. Courage, or the one with courage, doesn't seek accolades. They're not concerned about themselves as much as they are others. Courage doesn't go bellowing in the streets, but rather has a quiet, humble resolve to do what's right, regardless of if anybody's looking. Courage is a resolve to trust in God and stand alone if necessary in doing the right thing. Courage is a commodity that we lack in our American context these days. It's not as in great supply as it used to be. For men, we're called misogynistic, or it's toxic masculinity for us to even assume that we could stand in the gap anymore. Women, what does courage look like for you? Is it lording over? Is it standing above? What is it? See, our culture has this twisted concept of courage. Courage is going and picketing in front of the Supreme Court in red robes and white hoods. That's courage, right? No, courage is going and picketing in front of an abortion clinic, screaming at scared young women that walk through the doors thinking they have no alternative. 
What is courage? Courage is standing in the gap for the broken, the needy, the hurting, for those that are the outcast. We talked about that in the class I helped to teach this morning. Courage isn't a bully. Courage helps to eradicate the bully and lift up the brokenhearted. We come to another Psalm of David this morning, Psalm 27. And again, the circumstances surrounding this particular psalm aren't really known. We just know that David penned these words. He penned about 75% of the psalms. And in Psalm 27... He gives us a glimpse into what courage is. And I want you to follow along with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in your Bibles if you want, and those of you at home as well. There are 14 verses here. And David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? You ever ask yourself that question? Why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? Do you... As an adult, do you ever still get scared of the dark sometimes? <laughs> I remember as a kid, I might have told you this story before, but I grew up in a town called Bergen, which is a blip on the radar, if, if that. And uh, we grew up on what's called Harrington Lake in central Kentucky on a road called Paradise Camp Road. Yeah. 1390 Paradise Camp Road, Harrodsburg, Kentucky, 40330. I still remember it. It's been decades since I've lived there. And I remember in our small house that sat on the lake, my bedroom all the way back on the opposite side of the house from the den where the TV and we spent most of the time was. And I was all, I was this, I had OCD as a kid, like I do now as an adult. And so I hated leaving lights on. I was, I was actually the kid that turned the lights off. And I would think, I was in my bedroom getting ready for bed and I'd come running through the house. Well, I made the turn into the kitchen, which was also dark, a little bit too soon. And I remember slapping right into the wall. And have you ever seen those cartoons where you hit the, where a cartoon uh, character hits a wall and it's this big flash of light? That happened. <laughs> I've never experienced it before that time or since, but I hit the wall so hard in the dark, I saw a flash of light. Because I was scared of what wait behind, waited behind me in my room. I was a coward in the dark. But David says, why am I afraid? Because God, you're my light and my salvation. Why am I afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, do you catch what he's saying here? I may have imaginary fears out here, but even if I'm attacked, I'm going to remain confident. Why? He's already given you those examples of why. Because the Lord is his light, his salvation, his strong tower, his fortress. The one thing I ask of the Lord. So now he's going into um, a request, a supplication, if you will. 
The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Do you know his temple hadn't been built by that point yet? David never got to see the temple built. He knew there was a promise it would be built by his son Solomon. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. What is the sanctuary of God? That is the holy of holies. That is the place where God dwells. In the Old Testament, it is the place in the tabernacle or the temple where God's presence would come and reside between the two angels on on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That is his sanctuary. He says, you will conceal me there when troubles come. You'll hide me in that sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. And then he asks again, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come talk with me. Has your heart heard God say that? And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. Oh, God of my salvation. Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall into their hands, for they, are, they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Does it feel like it's the land of the living all the time? No. Wait patiently. For the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Here's the key point. When we wait patiently for the Lord, we are brave and courageous. When we wait patiently for the Lord, we are able to be brave and courageous. I think the solution for us as individuals in our culture is to look to the Lord. But the problem is we're still looking, and there are people sitting in these pews that are looking in many other places than the Lord, that are going to fountains that will run dry rather than the one who supplies an eternal amount of living water. Courage isn't going back to the old feeding trough, expecting something different. It's going to a whole new place where God can truly set a captive free. Courage is being willing to step out of your comfort and head in a direction that God's calling you and taking a step into his direction even when it's uncomfortable. We don't live in comfortable times. The church is in our culture is is under a pressure cooker type environment. We used to have it very easy. We still have it easy compared to most people across the globe. Let's be honest. But 
We live in this pressure cooker environment where it's getting harder and harder to just filter into the background as believers in Christ. Believers in Christ are not to be arrogant or pompous, but to be humble and to be firm in their beliefs. To speak the truth in love, to always be open to have a conversation with anybody, and to give a reason for the hope that we have. So what is a courageous person? I think if we break apart Psalm 27, we can see some pretty key points here, and that is this. A courageous person is somebody who trusts in God or who trusts God completely. David trusted in God and referred to God as his light and his salvation. But what did he mean by these two titles, light and salvation? Author James Mays explains that the Lord is called light because light drives away darkness. It is the light that life revives and flourishes. It is the, in the light that one can see the way. Albert Barnes explains it this way. Darkness is the emblem of distress, trouble, perplexity, and sorrow. Light is the emblem of the opposite of these. God furnished him such light that these troubles disappeared, and his way was bright and happy. Light reveals, as I mentioned before, what's in the darkness. Do you understand that? Light reveals what's in the dark. And what's hidden in the dark is not always pretty. See, David said, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. David desired transparency. He desired for there to be no secrets. I mentioned this before in previous sermons. Do you think in heaven there are secrets? No, all is revealed, all is transparent. We know, we will know then as we are fully known. That's what Paul tells us in Corinthians chapter 13. For now we look through a glass dimly or darkly, but then, oh, it'll all make sense. It'll all be clear. There'll be nothing to hide. There'll be no reason to hide anything because we will be perfected. We are in the process of that now. We are called to be perfect as he is perfect and holy as he, God, is holy. So in the here and now, the courageous person says, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm holding close to my heart that really worries me and concerns me. In the community of faith, we are to be with one another and hold one another accountable and lift each other up in this place of encouragement. And yes, we are to call a spade a spade when somebody is going contrary to what God's commands and teachings are. We call them out. Why? Because we love, not because we're trying to get the upper hand or lord over somebody. There are legalistic churches out there that do that. And that will point a finger of condemnation. But that's not what God's church is about. It's about the Holy Spirit convicting of sin. And yes, brothers and sisters in Christ holding each other accountable. You know why the enemy has such a field day within the body of Christ? 
It's because we hold our cards so close to our chest that we're afraid that if anybody sees what we're hiding, they'll reject us and hate us. And the sad truth is there are some that probably would. But the reality is the one who is truly free is the one who has expressed themselves, said, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide. If God sees all that I am and all that I do, then what does it matter? That doesn't give me liberty to go and do what I want to do. Because truly the person who has surrendered to God through Jesus Christ, who says, I believe in Jesus, and he is Lord of my life, all of my life, and he's Lord of your sexual life, He's Lord of your work life. He's Lord of your relationships. He's Lord of you in the grocery store, on the highway. He's Lord of you in your families. But sadly, we allow God to have certain portions of our life. We trust him to an extent with some things, but other things we say, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. Hands off of this. And you know one of these things, and this isn't God just being mean or hateful or vindictive. It's that if I can't have all of you, I will have none of you. And that sounds horrible, doesn't it? It sounds like he's being mean, but the reality is when you get married and you exchange vows, how would that relationship go if one of the persons in the couple said, uh, you can only have me on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? Or no, you know, hands off my, my, uh, my personal life. You can have my professional, or hands off my professional life. You can, if we only surrender ourselves to each other in marriage partially, what kind of relationship is that? And I see it. <laughs> I see it all the time. I saw it in my mom and stepdad's relationship. And she's probably going to be watching, so I won't embarrass you and tell you all, or embarrass her, tell you all this stuff. I don't understand. For those who claim to have a life that's fully committed to God, why it's only so far. And then I get the question from many, many people, where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God when I'm experiencing great loss or when I'm experiencing depression or when I'm going through temptations? It seems like he's not there. Remember the message from last week, Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? God, where are you? It's because we've only surrendered to a certain point. Again, I bring this up so often because it was a transformative verse for me. Jeremiah 29, 13. We're coming into a graduation season. This is often the one that we hear, the one before at Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know that one. Do you know what Jeremiah 13 says? Some of you may because you hear me quote it often. You will seek me and find me. This is Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God. You will seek me and find me when, what? 
you seek me with all of your heart. We don't have enough believers in Christ within our churches across the United States that are seeking God with all of their heart, and that means every ounce of you, to really know the voice of God when it comes onto the scene. Because when that voice is quiet and we know that God hasn't spoken, we trust that he's there and we wait upon him until he does speak. Trust who God is. The courageous person does that. Because God is light. Well, how many times has God referred to as light in the, in the Bible? Let's, I'm just going to pull a few cross-sections of this out. 2 Samuel 22, 29 O oh Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness, David writes. In response to the Israelites being set free from Egypt, do you remember the Exodus? In Exodus, we read, the Lord spread out a cloud above them as a covering, and he gave them a great fire to light the darkness. He led them by a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire by night. Speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah proclaims the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. He's talking about the region of Galilee, if you remember back a few months ago. The prophet Jeremiah warns, give glory to the Lord your God before it's too late. Acknowledge him before he brings darkness upon you, causing you to stumble and fall in the darkening uh, on the darkening mountains, for then when you look for light, you will find only terrible darkness. Whoa, wait a minute. That seems to veer way off the path. Wait, let me, let me look at that real quick again. The Lord is my light and my salvation, David proclaims, but then the prophet Jeremiah, who's warning the people of God, the last remaining group in Judah, in Jerusalem, give glory to the Lord your God before it's too late, Acknowledge him before he brings darkness upon you, causing you to stumble and fall in the darkening, on the darkening mountains. So God's going to cause darkness? How does God cause darkness? Okay, because God is light, when God withdraws from a people or a place, what ensues? Darkness. When you blow out a candle in a darkened room, what happens? It goes dark. When you turn off your light before you go to bed, it gets dark. For then, when you look for light, Jeremiah says, you will find only terrible darkness and gloom. Before it's too late, before God says, okay, enough's enough. I'm done. You want darkness more than you want light, I will give you what you want and I'll pull away. It's not what I want for you, but I... I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's a scary place to be. The night before he went before the king Nebuchadnezzar uh, to interpret his dream, Daniel called out to God and God answered. In response to God's answer, Daniel praised God with these words. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he is all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. 
Speaking of deception, Matthew documents Jesus' words in his gospel on the Sermon on the Mount as he writes, your lamp, excuse me, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is your darkness? Some people have confused what they consider light and what they've exposed themselves to as being life-giving, that it's actually death and darkness. And how deep is that darkness when they've confessed to themselves that what they're doing is okay? when it's so contrary to God's standards. Living in an adulterous relationship, God's okay with that. He loves me. Continuing to throw caution to the wind with regard to your addictive behaviors, to pornography or any other type of device that becomes a wedge between you and God. And convincing yourself that this is okay because it's a stress reliever for me. I've got to deal with this some way or I'll go crazy. How about surrendering completely to Christ? Instead of becoming drunk by wine or alcohol, how about becoming drunk in the Holy Spirit? Instead of looking across the fence to what you see as greener pastures, how's about tending to the soil on your side of the fence and cultivating a good crop of righteousness? Because usually when you get over to that other side of the fence and you look down, you realize it's just as pitted as the other side was. One more from John's gospel referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. See, the word, he says, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Do you see what it's saying about Jesus? No matter how hard, whether it's Nietzsche, Karl Marx, I'm reading several of these books right now, and they're saying the end of the church age, religion is gone, God is no longer existent. The church is irrelevant. Give up the boogeyman and come to science as a reality for all living things. Every generation has had its naysayers trying to snuff out the faith. And guess what happens? It can never be snuffed out. It can never be darkened. Because God is light, Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, exhibits this life which is light and exposes what's in the dark. Do you know why they crucified him? Because he was exposing the falsehoods that existed in his day and age, the things that for centuries the religious people had hung on to. The ones who had concealed the true light from the rest of the nation. See, under Abraham in Genesis 3, God had called Abraham so that his descendants would be a blessing to the nations. Guess what they had done? Not only had they failed miserably to live up to the standards of God, they withheld the truth from the rest of the world. Until truth embodied 
came onto the scene. The one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Then open the doors of blessing for the nations. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise that's still alive today as much as it was when he first spoke those words to Nicodemus. What about salvation? He is light and salvation. James Mays explains, Israel came to know the Lord as God of my salvation. At the beginning of their history, when they sang after their deliverance at the Red Sea, the Lord has become my salvation in Exodus 15, verse 2. Christians called the light called the Lord light and salvation in stronghold of life because of the deliverance from sin and death. See, our exodus wasn't from a place, but from an existence in sin and death. And Jesus became that light and that salvation to us. The courageous person seeks to be in God's presence. Where did David seek to be? Well, the only place David really understood that God would come and exist. Now, he knew a bigger picture of God than many in his day did. He knew that he could pray to God wherever and at any time. But he also knew the place where God's presence would come down and reside with the people was in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And he says, I want to be with you there. I want to dwell with you in this place forever. And you might say, that sounds ridiculous. A lot of the questions I get about heaven are this. It seems like it's going to be boring, Brandon. What are we going to do forever? We're going to sit at the feet of Jesus and sing? I mean, won't that get boring after a while? You see, David's like, I don't care. I, just, I want to get rid of everything and just be in your presence. But when you have people asking, won't we get bored? Your picture of God has to be this small. When I hear people questioning the expanse of what God's dwelling looks like and will be like, because you cannot conceive of something greater than what your mind can take in, we often put God in this little, minute, myopic place and say, well, that's going to be boring. I don't want to play a harp on a cloud. I don't even like music. I don't like harps. I mean, like the guitar, maybe drums. I don't know. I... You get a very bad picture of what heaven's going to be like when you start myopically just putting this perspective of God. Can you imagine the vastness of heaven, the new heaven and the new earth? Let's think about that. Revelation talks about the new. I want to seek God. David says, where he can be found, and where he can be found was that place in David's time called the tabernacle. I want to be there with him. I don't want to go anywhere else. You know why? You could probably relate to David's story, because around every turn, there's bad news. There's difficulty. There's struggles. There's heartache. There's pain. There's tears. There's sorrow. And David says, I don't want it anymore. I just want to escape from all. You ever wanted to escape from this? In a good way? 
Because some people get to the point where they are so desperate. I've been called out for talking about suicide. Don't bring that up, Brandon. It's too painful. Why do we avoid talking about every subject under the sun if God speaks into that subject? When the enemy can get you so captivated to believe that there's no way out but to take your own life. Oh, how desperate a place that is. David could have done that. David was pursued not once but twice. We've already talked about that within the past year by Saul and by his son Absalom because they both wanted him dead. He was on the run, and it seemed like God had forgotten him. God, if you truly love me, why do you you let these people hound me? My enemies come at me. They mar my reputation. These bullies in my life who want nothing but destruction for me. God, if you really love me, you would fill in the blank. You ever said that? Or do you know somebody who has? See, David knew That God was love, he was good, he was trustworthy, and that if he just continued to pursue God, he knew he would come through. He was his light, his salvation, and I want, he says, I want to seek you. I want to be with you. I want to dwell in your house forever and ever. Because I know there's safety there. I know there's joy there. I know there's peace there from the, from the relenting world in which I live. I know, I know that in that place there is no condemnation because you don't look at me down the nose of your, of your glasses and your nose. You don't look at me that way. You look at me this way with your arms spread wide. No matter what I've done, God, you still love me. But you love me enough not to leave me there. And so I want you. Do you want God that bad? Do you desire to be in the presence of God so much that everything in you groans? Think of that first love. Or somebody you are deeply in love with right now. And think of the feelings that you have. And the desires Remember meeting Sarah Lee for the first time. And I don't mean to embarrass her, but as that relationship began to grow, I wanted to be with her all the time. And when I wasn't in her presence, guess what? It was depressing. All of life was gray and dull, but when I was in her presence, I could conquer the world. How much more so is that relationship with God? And should our desires be for Him? to seek him with all we have, to be in his presence and to experience the joys of life. John chapter 15, Jesus gives us this impression or this picture of what it means to dwell. Listen to his words as he speaks to his disciples. I am the true grapevine and my father's the gardener. You remember hearing these words? Listen to him with a fresh set of ears today. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. We've been going through a series every year. We take a theme within the series called the fruit of the spirit. What year are we in? (laughs) 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 Patience. You knew it was coming. We started this four years ago. 
patience. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. What fruit's he talking about? See, we don't know. We know what they didn't know. Because Paul would come along later after Jesus had said these words, after he'd been crucified, dead and buried, and rose from the grave and ascended to the Father. Paul would write these words in Galatians chapter 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. I'm going through this right now with my apple trees. Pruning season is done. But I'm watching as the buds begin to blossom on my apple trees. There are still some suckers, and what that means is suck life away from the good growth on the same branch that I have to trim because I want all the nutrients to go to that branch where the blossoms are, where the potential fruit can come. You've already been pruned and purified by a message that I've given you. He's telling his disciples this. He's getting ready to be arrested. Remain in me. Do you know why he's telling them this? Think about what they're getting ready to experience in the next few hours. Jesus is going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be carried away. The rest of the disciples are going to flee in fear or stand off in a distance and watch this thing unfold. And what's Jesus telling them? Because he has foreknowledge of what's getting ready to happen. He says, remain in me. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's, not severed, if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is he saying? Those are pretty, those are pretty heavy words. Apart from who? Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Do you hear that? How many of you try on your own terms and in your own ways to make something happen without even a glancing thought toward God? God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to accomplish A, B, or C? Remain in me. Um, Yeah, okay, verse five. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches, branches are gathered into a pile and burned. We do that every spring while it's still burn season so that we don't get the commissioner or somebody at our house, right? But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask for anything that you want and it will be granted. Oh, yes! There's a caveat here that we often miss because we pull this out of context. God's gonna give me everything I want. That's not what that says. If I just pray for it, boom. And if it doesn't happen, I just don't have enough faith. First off, get over yourself. Secondly, that's not true. That's not what that says. You know what that says? If you remain in me and I in you, 
then whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will give it to you. Do you understand what he's saying? Because if you truly are in him and he is in you, then your desires are going to be for who? (laughs) See, this is what's so cool about this. It's not a gotcha kind of thing. It's just we want to read into Scripture what we think it should say rather than reading it for what it does say. If you remain in me and I in you, then I'll give you the desires of your heart because your desires are going to be for me. This ties into John, or Luke chapter 9. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow who? Him, Jesus. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. Wait a minute. That sounds like works righteousness. So if I do more, it's going to be chalked up as grace to me. Whoop, whoop, whoop. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. Do you know how to know if somebody's truly tied into the vine? They're producing fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Are you producing that fruit? When you produce fruit, you're my disciples, my true disciples. You have a lot of people running around saying, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. And they're living like the devil throughout the rest of the week. I'm a believer, but I'm cheating so-and-so out of this. I'm a believer, but I don't like my neighbor who lives next door because they always blow their leaves onto my lot or their grass clumps when they're mowing their grass, and I just dump it right back. I'm preparing fruit for the kingdom, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. No. Well, should I let them roll all over me? No. Stand for what's true and what's good and what's righteous. Don't get sucked into the enemy's tactics to suck you away from the presence of God and to do the things that the enemy is tempting you to do, even if you feel justified. When you seek the Lord, you let the things of the world go. Jesus concludes with these words in John 15, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things, he says, so that you will be filled with my joy. Wait a minute. Don't give me this, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do stuff. It's just, Christianity is just a bunch of rules and regulations. What Jesus says, when you live that way, you'll be filled with joy. There's freedom there. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way that I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And a lot of our churches today don't like to give that message because it's conditional. We don't like conditions put on anything. God's love is unconditional. But his salvation has conditions. That sounds hard, right? God's salvation does not have conditions. If I'm reading 
Jesus' words correctly. He says, if you don't do this and live this way and remain in me, you're going to be cut off. And again, remind you, it's not about doing. It's about being, but out of your being should flow everything you do for him. And if nothing's coming out of you, if you are not producing fruit, then you aren't truly connected. And he's going to cut you off. See, this isn't a message that's popular in our culture because it sounds hateful. But the truth sounds hateful to those who reject the truth. But to those who embrace it and allow it to be a corrective in their lives so that they can get on the path called the way, there is life. Life everlasting. Lastly, let me give you this quickly before we conclude. A courageous person waits patiently on God for deliverance. Have you ever seen those movies? It's like coming to the climax of the movie. It's oftentimes toward the very end. And uh, think of a drama or an action movie where the hero or the heroes and heroines there, they're, they're, it looks like the battle's lost. There's no way they're going to get out of this. It's, it's just bad. But then that's when I pull myself out and I say, that would be a bad movie. So they wouldn't make it that way. So they're going to come out somehow, right? But when you get sucked into the plot and you're there and they're, they're, they're at the enemies are coming in, millions and millions surrounding them. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? But they're standing there and they're like, we'll just go down fighting. And they've got one more trick left up their sleeve. But if they use it too soon, they'll be lost. If they use that too late, they'll be lost. And so the one who's there said, wait, wait, but they're coming closer. Wait. You, see, you know what I'm talking about? Or am I just making a fool of myself? <laughs> Do you get where I'm at? And at just the right moment, boom, success. And the battle is won. The courageous person waits upon the Lord patiently for him to say, now, or go, or do. You may be at a really rough time in life right now. And you feel, I just got to do something. I gotta... No, wait. Just, just wait. Just hold on a bit. Hold your horses. Sit, sit down for just a second. Now's not the time to move. If you move in your own actions, you're going to lose the battle. If you move too soon, it's not going to work. If you wait too late, it's not going to work. You have to listen for me. Wait patiently on the Lord. And the one who waits upon the Lord is never despised by God. Remember last week, Psalm 22. David says, our ancestors trusted you. Do you know that word for trust also means to wait in the Hebrew? Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. Psalm 25, verse 3, David writes, No one who trusts in you, Lord, will, ne will ever be disgraced. 
but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Some of you probably have memorized this. It may be one of your most favorite verses. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their what? The NLT writes, But those who trust in the Lord will find a new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. In that moment of your greatest need, when you're waiting on the Lord, and he says, now's the time, you're strengthened. In the waiting season is when you have that opportunity to be fully present with the Lord. Because if you are not waiting, you're not going to be listening. Do you get that? If you're not trusting, you're not going to be listening. And if there's anything I know about God's voice, it's rarely a yell. More often than not, God's voice is still and quiet, almost like a gentle whisper on the wind. When Elijah was running from Jezebel and in the wilderness and on the mountaintop where God told him to go and wait and find rest... There was a mighty whirlwind. There was a great, huge fire that engulfed the mountain where he was. There was an earthquake. But God wasn't in any of those things, as you might expect him to be, what insurance agents call acts of God. But it's eerily quiet. And Elijah steps out into the opening on this mountain. And there's this gentle breeze. He takes a deep breath and he's breathing, breathing in, and he hears the voice of God in the stillness and the quiet of the moment as he'd been waiting through all the tumult and noise, patiently waiting on God. And God instructs him, it's time to go back, Elijah. Go back to the work I've called you. I've not left you alone. You're running in fear from someone who cannot take your soul. You go back and do the work I first called you to. You go back and be, be, remain faithful to me. There are others who haven't bowed their knee to these false gods. You be a leader to them. An early 20th century London newspaper ad by the famous South Pole explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton is said to have read this. Men wanted for hazardous, or a haz for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Imagine putting an ad out in the paper for that. How many of you would actually answer that ad? Because <laughs> listen to what happens next. It is said that the response was so overwhelming that Shackleton wrote later, it seemed as though all men in Great Britain were determined to accompany us. How many have the courage and are just waiting for the opportunity to be a leader with a vision? 
But you've told yourself, I could never do that. Or you have allowed the enemy to speak insecurity into your life and tell you you're no good, you can never amount to anything. Because maybe that was told to you so long ago and that resonates in your head even now. And you've allowed the enemy to not only gain a foothold but to gain control of your life. See, there's deliverance through Christ Jesus who sets captives free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If the Son, John chapter 8, has set you free, you're free indeed. I think many of us are looking for an opportunity to stand firm. Well, now is that time. What are you waiting for? Unless you're waiting on the Lord, you're falling on your face. Unless you're falling on your face before God, you're just getting a mouthful of dirt. It's said that the response was so overwhelming that he wrote that the great, the whole of Great Britain had come. And that's what we must acknowledge. That to be truly courageous is to be completely surrendered to God. Our worship team's going to come forward and close this out. And here's the challenge I want to leave you with today. Where are you at in this journey called life? Where are you at in your faith walk? Or do you even have one? See, maybe your courageous journey starts with taking a first step in belief in Jesus Christ to surrender your life to him completely. Maybe you need to pray a prayer of salvation and say, Lord, I'm done running, I'm done trying it on my own, and I will do whatever you ask of me. I'm yours from this point forward. Maybe that's what you need to pray. And maybe you need to confess those dark places in your life and allow the light of Christ to illuminate you and to be your salvation. Maybe, just maybe, you've been a believer in Christ, but you've cowered behind the scenes, doubting in yourself, doubting in God's ability to use you, doubting what your future may hold because you've made a mess of things. Maybe. But is God greater than the things you've made a mess of? Again, let's go back to the seek God while he may be found. I want to seek you in your holy place. I want to dwell with you in your house forever. Do you have a myopic view of God? Do you have God in the box of your own making and you carry him around and he can only do what you allow him to do in your life? He goes to his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus does. He says he could do no miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of belief. That didn't make him less powerful. It just made them unreachable. Do you understand that? And so Jesus shook off his robes, dusted the dust from his feet, not because he was like, well, the heck with you. But it, he didn't want to carry the burden of that city's dust even into the next city. Do you catch that? Don't be Nineveh, or excuse me, don't be Nazareth or Nineveh, except under Jonah, which is a different sermon for a different time. Allow the Lord to penetrate your heart. 
I believe some of you need to be delivered this morning. And I'm not talking about a Holy Ghost Pentecostal swinging from the chandelier deliverance. I'm talking about a deliverance from sin and death. I'm talking about a deliverance from addiction. I'm talking about a deliverance from sexual immorality. I'm talking about, it. I'm talking about all of that junk that is in, that is poisoned the branch that you are. I've preached in here, it'll be 10 years in August. You believe that? This is one of the lowliest place, loneliest places to be. Because I never know where the message falls. But I pray every time, Lord, don't let your word go forth void. And it's not about me seeing the altars flooded, but it's about me desiring for every captive to be set free. That was my calling so many years ago. I want you to preach the gospel, Brandon. I want you to set captives free with the message of Jesus Christ. Today's your day. Be courageous. Heavenly Father, in this place, we take a deep breath knowing that courage doesn't always come easy. To do the right thing will require hard decisions. It'll require letting go of some relationships. It'll require letting go of the security blanket of addiction. It'll require letting go of the hurt from the past and the unforgiveness toward those that have harmed us greatly. It'll require letting go of my anger rage, my bitterness, my frustration. Lord, true freedom will require me to purge myself of all of that that has held me back from courageously stepping fully into your grace. Lord, I ask in this place today that you would set the captives free from the wilderness of their own making, from the wilderness of the making of somebody else in their lives, regardless of whatever is holding them back. Lord, break the chains of bondage for everyone in this place and everyone that's listening today. Help us to be new creations, to not be bound by our past decisions or mistakes or sins, but God, to be restored afresh and anew. And when the enemy comes to remind us of that past, Lord, help us to have the resolve through the power of your Holy Spirit to say, get behind me, Satan. I am the Lord's and you cannot have me. We ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.